Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you ever struggled with a health issue and wondered if there were any other options besides medicine or surgery? From Offscript Health, welcome to Before We Die, the podcast where you'll meet the medtech innovators who will share the hurdles, successes, and heartbreaking failures in getting their products to patients before we die. I'm Joey Brenneman from Offscript Health. Now, this is not a podcast about death and dying, quite the opposite. It is about the amazing technological advances in the medical industry that could potentially save lives. Today's innovation focus is the Cala Trio, a non-invasive drug-free device worn on your wrist that minimizes essential tremor. Okay, so now for all of our listeners out there of a certain age, if you remember Katherine Hepburn, you might think of her acting career and some of her classic films with Spencer Tracy. And as she got older, Hepburn was associated with her very distinct speaking style and her shaky head and hand movements. Well, Katherine Hepburn is perhaps the most well-known person with essential tremor, which affects nearly 25 million people worldwide. The reality is that people with essential tremor have just a couple of options today, prescription drugs or brain surgery. And our guests today are working to bring a smart wristband called the Calatrio to help patients living with essential tremor. But before we jump into all of that, as always, here are the Before We Die creators and resident panel of experts, Sandra Miller. Hey, Joey. Hey, Sandy. And hello, John McMahon. Hey, Joey. It's going to be a great day. Yes, it is. And Craig Allman. Hello. Hi, Joey. So we have two guests today, Kate Rosenbluth and Renee Ryan of Cala Health. So Sandy, maybe you can give us a little bit of background information about the two of them. Absolutely. So we have two truly powerhouse women on the show today. And if you look at Kate Rosenbluth's earlier education, her training, her career, it seems she was really destined to invent this treatment for essential tremor and start the company Cala Health. So that background, the highlights are she earned a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from Stanford, then earned a PhD in bioengineering, and then did a postdoc fellowship in a field called translational neuroscience at UC San Francisco. And prior to starting Cala Health, Kate also worked with Genentech and Brain Lab, a place called Brain Lab. I mean, <laughs> pretty impressive. <laughs> Even more impressive is that in recognition of the innovation and the impact of Cala Health, Kate was named a 40 under 40 leader in healthcare by Fortune magazine in 2020. And the company received what's basically an invention award. They were a gold winner of the 2020 Edison Awards. Uh, Renee Ryan, who is CEO of Cala Health, is no slouch either. Renee previously led medical technology investments for Johnson & Johnson. If this means that Renee was a venture capital investor, but instead of for a venture firm, Renee was investing on behalf of Johnson & Johnson. And while in this role, she's made over 15 new investments for J&J, including for Cala Health. So she invested in this company before she became its CEO. And prior to that, she was a healthcare investment banker working for companies like Goldman Sachs. Renee is also on the board of directors of two really exciting companies, Neuropace, who make the only FDA-approved device for epilepsy, and Reflection Medical, who are featured in another episode of Before We Die. John, anything to add to that? Well, thank you, Sandy. Um, the Kala story and the Kala team are really exceptional examples of groups that do something transformational on behalf of patients. And today, what our listeners are going to hear about is the idea that you take an interventional brain surgery approach 
and end up putting it non-invasively on your wrist like an Apple Watch. And how this group did it and how in favor it is to make it accessible to patients is really fundamental. And Craig, what are you curious to know about Kate and Renee? I'm curious to know how they came up with the idea of doing something inside the brain, outside the brain, and where this idea can go beyond a central tremor, which itself is uh, a huge disease that affects tens of millions of people worldwide and makes living frequently really difficult. Or some people just learn to accept it as part of who they are, as is the case with Katie Whitcraft. Now, Katie has grown up with an essential tremor, and she shared with us how it has affected her life. My name is Katie Whitcraft, and I've had an essential tremor since I was three years old. When I was in first grade, I, we were doing a joint project with both classes of first grade, and we were sitting on the floor and, and holding paper and like cutting it into something. I can't even remember, but we were cutting it. Right. So my teacher stopped and she's, she took the scissors away from me and said, we're going to give you something that you can do. And the whole, all classes saw it. And it was that moment of like, cool. Now everyone knows something's wrong with me. And so that would happen throughout my life. When I was building a lot, um, if people didn't know that I had an essential trouble, they'd see me grab a power tool and immediately be like, are you okay? <laughs> it's always an adventure <laughs> trying to figure out how, how things work. I think eyeliner can be terrifying. Uh, liquid eyeliner is not your friend if you have a tremor. It seems like a silly thing, but <laughs> when you're at work and, and you're in a meeting or you have to like carry coffee into a meeting, I can't look away from the cup. Like I can't look at someone and just take a sip of coffee unless it has a lid. So it would be nice to to just be able to like go to a meeting and not have that be the first thing someone asked me or are you nervous be the first thing someone asked me because no, I'm not usually a nervous person. It's really just my hand. But lots of people have, depending on how intimate or how much they know me, they'll they'll ask things that they think are funny. Oh, too much caffeine. Oh, you got a little bit of the DTs today? <laughs> like, you know, they they think it's cute and funny because they notice the handshaking and that's their natural assumption. And I have to explain to them, oh, no, 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 that's just, you know, how my hands work. Like, they just shake constantly and it's a thing. Did you ever consider medication or surgery? The surgery, no. Hands down, no. What I have uh, is considered a mild essential tremor, but for me, it's just not something I would do for myself for surgery. Medication, I'm really hit or miss with medication. It doesn't always react with my system the way it's supposed to. And so like every time I've been on medication, it's been kind of a bad experience. So for my situation and for my tremor, it is not something that like I would want to take daily medication for, or even be interested in playing that like kind of roulette game of like, okay, let's try this. Let's try that. Let's see how it affects you. It seems like overkill for, for something that I've learned to live with. And until recently, prescription drugs or brain surgery have been the only treatment options available for patients like Katie. And here to tell us about a new and very exciting option is Kate Rosenbluth and Renee Ryan of Cala Health. Okay, this is very exciting. This is a before we die first because we have two guests joining us today at the same time. Cala Health's founder and chief scientific officer, Kate Rosenbluth, and the CEO of Cala Health, Renee Ryan. So Kate and Renee, welcome to Before We Die. Thanks for having us. Looking forward to it. Now, I know that you want to get right into all of the exciting things that are currently happening at Cala Health, but before we do that, I'd like to cover the basics. And Kate, maybe you can kick this all off by telling us what exactly are essential tremors. So our, uh, our journey at Cala really started with this focus on uh, helping patients with essential tremor. I'd say, you know, when we started down this journey, uh, I, like many people, were not really aware of what exactly essential tremor was. Millions of Americans live with a common hand tremor condition where your hands actually shake when you're trying to do the things that most of us take for granted, you know, drinking right. a cup of coffee, doing buttons, signing a check, using a phone. And if you sort of step back and think of it, many of us have probably seen this when, you know, we're sitting out at a restaurant and notice that someone's sitting at a next table, uh, that their hand is shaking for 
for example, while trying to eat. And I even notice it when like I drink too much coffee, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I can't do that because I'm like, you know, way too wired. Absolutely. You know, you're spot on. And it's 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 really common. Everyone actually has an underlying physiologic tremor. You're right. If we drink too much coffee, sometimes you'll see it if someone's using a laser pointer and you'll sort of see a shaking in the Mm -hmm. laser pointer. But for many people, that becomes amplified to a level that it's really pathologic, that it really impacts people's ability to do those, uh, as I say, those things that we, we really take for granted. So what's the thing that tips it over into that pathological place? It's really the severity of the tremor. So mm-hmm. we think about it in how much it impacts people in their daily lives. So once the tremor becomes severe enough that it is impacting, you know, people either in, in sort of their sense of self, in their confidence, you know, thinking about embarrassment. These patients are actually about twice as likely to experience anxiety and depression uh, as well. There are so many areas where our ability to have fine hand control without tremors is just incredibly impactful on our lives. So, Kate, I'm going to do something that I'm usually not the person asking this kind of question on the show, but it's because it's more of a geeking out question. (laughs) So I'm just thinking about, like you said, a lot of us have some degree of tremor, you know, and like Joey's example was great. Like, okay, I overdid it on the caffeine today. And then there's the people, as you said, who have sort of the pathological level, right, where it's really affecting them. Is there anything that is used to quantify that? Because you have to measure something, right? Mm -hmm. To have a baseline. So we have always had a very, I'd say, patient-centered lens on innovation. So I would define that impact by how much it impacts people to do the things that are important to them in their daily lives. So we really think of this sort of in that functional daily impact. Absolutely, there are gold standard clinical scales that we use as the endpoints of the studies. To me, one of the really exciting areas, too, has been with more consumer wearables, with Apple Watches, with Fitbits, you can actually use the motion sensors on board those devices to really capture movement in a ongoing way that is incredibly meaningful to being able to really understand and, and among other things, sort of share that experience with physicians, with helping patients understand their journey with tremor uh, and what options are available to them. Hey, Kate, this is John. If you're someone who's looking to get this, are you really then getting it as a prescription from your doctor for a therapy and whether you can get it reimbursed, right? We're talking to patients They want to know not only does it exist, but how they can get it. It's a great question and I think speaks to one of the really hard things about translating medical technologies into patients' hands, which is there is a very complex stakeholder map. Healthcare is one of the only places where often the person who recommends a therapy, the person who uses a therapy, and the person who pays for a therapy is different. So to that end, we collect our data, whether it's evidence in clinical studies or whether it's uh, real-world experiences from, you know, patients who are using the therapy today, uh, we really think about sort of all of those different users uh, in mind. So a patient will think of this as, you know, how does this improve my ability to recover my ability to do the things that I love doing? That's very different from the evidence set that we will collect for a payer, which is very different from the evidence set that we will collect for a physician. So one of the areas that we've really sort of invested in from day one that has been just true to our culture of who we are is really looking at innovation with a patient as a partner uh, in Mm -hmm. that innovation and collecting the multiple data sets that, you know, serve those different patients. One of the analogies I love to think of for this actually is, um, is you go for a restaurant for dinner and one person sits down and they look at the menu and they say, you know, I'll have the salmon on a bed of quinoa. And then they get up and they leave. And then another person comes and they sit down at the restaurant and they look at what got served and they say, I didn't want salmon. You know, I want spaghetti. And then they have to eat the salmon. And then that person gets up and leaves. And then a third person receives the bill and says, you know, why do we get the salmon when we could have got a cheeseburger? And that is what you're dealing with in healthcare. And it's really where you have sort of a, a misalignment of the data that is needed to serve each of those stakeholders. Yeah, that's a great illustration. And that's really germane to our mission here before we die Because fundamentally, people can hear about these treatments, but they want to be able to find them, get them, and afford to pay for them. We're really trying to bring that forward. So the the payer-provider battle or triumvirate. Yeah, that's uh, one of the best analogies (laughs) of that whole dynamic. I love your analogy as a restaurant. It's made me hungry. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's talk about going back to patients before Cala Health and, and what you guys are working on. What options uh, have been available to patients with this tremor? The options available to these patients are really very, very scarce. I mean, we have in the U.S. alone, there are probably seven to 10 million patients who have essential tremor. And a lot of them uh, start by taking uh, generic drugs. So the, the physicians typically will prescribe for them. They go to the neur- neurologist uh, and they get primidone or propanolol. And while those drugs are generic and therefore seemingly cheap, they need to be dosed at very high levels. So they mm-hmm. often have very poor side effect profiles. On the other end of the spectrum, there are surgical alternatives. So uh, deep brain surgery. Actually, I don't know if you know this, but the first indication for deep brain stimulation was, in fact, essential tremor. Mm, And so they have deep brain stimulation and they have technologies that do ablative resections in the brain. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to ablate any tissue in my brain. But (laughs) um, so the patients really struggle. They'll try the drugs. Oftentimes they stop using them because of the side effect profile. Um, There are a host of assistive devices out there to help with eating or dressing themselves. But really, there's no sort of universal solution that can allow them to restore their functionality. And that's where um, the opportunity was so great for Cala Health. We've heard about drugs with bad side effects. And Renee said, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I'd want to have things ablated in my brain. What does that really actually mean? It means using an energy source to destroy tissue. So like zapping it. Yes. And so the location in the brain that essential tremor emanates from is called the VIM or the central tremor network. And so that is the location that When deep brain stimulation, surgical procedures are happening, they cut a hole in your brain, they insert a probe, and they're looking for that VIM or that central tremor network location. There's a couple of different procedures to either resect the tissue or ablate the tissue. They're also resecting at that exact location in the VIM. These are expensive, invasive, and risky. And so patients tend to do their homework about them and really say, listen, I'll just live with my tremors. And that's what they've Mm -hmm. been doing for decades often. So resect is you're actually just going to cut that section of the brain out. Ablate, in essence, is you're going to burn it and make it dysfunctional and leave it where it is. Yeah. So our solution is a wristwatch-like form factor. Because no one out there was making neuromodulation watches, we had to develop our own. And so we have a proprietary stimulator that sits at the top of the wrist. And the energy is actually delivered through a, a very comfortable band. But we have silicone electrodes that are Uh, placed over two nerves at the wrist. There's actually little markers on the band itself so the patient can do this at home on their own. They place the the band over those two nerves and Velcro tighten it and they can start a a therapy session. The neat thing about our technology though, and I don't want to get too, too far ahead, but we use motion sensors that, that Kate had described and things like Fitbit and Apple Watch to actually read each individual patient's tremor and personalize our waveform to match their needs. Wow. Great. I just have to do a, a syllable alert because um, mo- module neuromodulator stimulator yeah. neuro like that's a lot of syllables. So I don't want to just throw that out there and assume that everybody knows that what that means because I'm sure you guys say that nine times a day. But for me, I'm like, wait, 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 it just went by me. So we probably say it 90 times a day. <laughs> <laughs> so, so break it down for me. Yeah, let me, let me, let me jump in on that one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna actually start by taking us way back to the ancient Greeks, which is where this idea, (laughs) which is where where this idea of sort of electricity as medicine started. Our nervous system is built to carry electrical signals in the body. And if you go all the way back to the Greeks, the Greeks used electric eels, electric rays as therapy for many of the areas where today the modern field of neurostimulation is treating. So this is the use of electricity to treat diseases like epilepsy, like depression, to treat severe pain. The uh, the root of the word narcotic is from narca, which is the Greek word for electric ray. Mm. Amazing. So if you fast forward then, I sort of think of this this field of neuromodulation that you're asking about really started uh, in sort of the 1950s, 1960s in the area of cardiac pacing. So this is the first sort of major new sort of area of modern medicine where we really understood how you could use electricity as 
treatment, electricity as therapy for the body. So, you know, instead of using a drug, instead of taking a pill, instead of looking at the chemical or biologic communications of the body, it was actually looking at using the electricity as medicine. Since then, the field of neuromodulation or neurostimulation, which means electrical excitation of the nervous system, has evolved from cardiac pacing to areas like spinal cord stimulation for treating pain. As Renee mentioned, deep brain stimulation, where you're implanting an electrical stimulator in the brain and into a field that is also now sometimes referred to as bioelectronic medicines, which is where you're really evolving this field as we understand more about how electricity acts in the body, both when, you know, it's acting in a way that helps us, you know, know when we have stubbed our toe or, you know, sending communication mm. between the different organs in the body in the correct way, and also in some of these conditions like hand tremors where something has gone wrong in those electrical firing patterns and we are actually using electricity to, as a treatment. That is so great. So it's basically continuing to evolve something that's been around forever, and yet it's inspiring these new technologies. Yeah, you're spot on. And, and I think what just has really amazed me as I, I got into this field, originally from the more invasive implants side of this field, is realizing, you know, society invests tremendously in looking more sort of at the body as a, a bag of chemicals and looking at uh, pharmacologic mm -hmm. approaches and looking at, you know, basically chemical mechanisms, which are leveraging small molecule signaling cascades, et cetera, or, you know, the biologics. And yet, if you look at how the body sends information internally, our electrical systems are really finely tuned. You know, it's allowed me to think I want to pick up this pen and actually have my muscles coordinate to pick up the pen. Yeah. It's, a, it's what allows us to, you know, feel at the end of the day, not to get too metaphysical on it, but, you know, all of our, our, our memory, our emotions, these are encoded in patterns of zero and ones in the nervous system. And I think that we're really just sort of early in that journey yeah. of really understanding how to think about electricity mm -hmm. as new classes of therapy. I, I want to get this industry to a place, the world to a place where, you know, a patient is coming in to talk with a physician about a medical challenge that they're experiencing. And there's a real conversation about, well, should we think about, you know, a, a drug or should we think about an electrical therapy? As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So, Kate, before the break, we were talking about electricity as medicine, and I'd love to get into that a little bit deeper as it applies to the Calatrio and how it works. So in the case of our essential tremor therapy, these nerves pass right basically underneath the skin close to the carpal tunnel. She's, she's showing us, for the listeners, she's showing us just <laughs> under her wrist, <laughs> just uh, on, the, on the inside of her wrist. When I read what you do, you actually only wear it for a while and take it off. You don't just put it on and it calms down. How did you come up with that? Uh, I would have thought if it didn't work right away that you'd sort of question it. Yeah. So basically, as Renee mentioned, we use motion sensors on board our wrist-based devices to calibrate the stimulation for each patient. And that's because the tremor itself is produced by a oscillatory firing pattern. So basically what's sort of like a wave. So there's a wave of activity in the brain. And that is actually what is driving the tremor. And what we realized is that if we could understand the sort of shape and timing of that wave for each patient, then we could deliver the stimulation that would sort of calm that ocean, that would calm that wave pattern. And that would last even after we turned off the stimulation. The second piece there was realizing that that firing pattern in the brain was actually what produced the tremor. Mm. So you could use motion sensors on the wrist as a way to measure what was actually happening in the brain and calculate the stimulation pattern that would interrupt that firing pattern. We're doing both sensing and stimulation in the wrist, and yet the mechanism is happening in the brain. 
I get it. This is great. The next question is, I'm wearing my Calatrio device. How long do I wear it? Is it 24-7? When do I put it on? Does it charge overnight? How do I practically engage with this device when I am lucky enough to have a Calatrio? <laughs> the device is used by patients when they need it. When a patient is, you know, desiring tremor relief, they use the therapy for 40 minutes. They get relief about uh, 10, 20 minutes into the session. And then that effect lasts after the therapy for another 60 to 90 minutes. We have many patients who will use therapy multiple times a day. Uh, we have other patients who will use therapy less frequently because they're using it tied to a specific activity that their hand tremors are impacting their ability to do. It's starting to become really clear to me Kate's role in all of this. But Renee, for you, when did you come aboard this journey? I mean, what was it about this idea, this product that you connected with? So uh, much like Kate, I knew nothing about Essential Tremor. I was a venture investor at Johnson & Johnson. I was responsible for our med tech and health tech investments on the West Coast and a small region of Asia Pacific. And so I met Kate. I looked at what she was doing, and I'm on the board of another company that does implantable neuromodulation. Uh, they treat epilepsy. And the, the RNS system, which is what Neuropace is commercialized, is looking for and detecting epileptic seizure activity in the brain and then responding to it. And we call it responsive neurostimulation. So I looked at Kate and I said, Kate, you've got something. This is responsive neuromodulation, but in a, uh, you know, a body-worn form factor. You don't have to put a probe in someone's brain. And uh, little did I know that Kate had just had her second child and was <laughs> sort of on maternity leave. And so I said, Kate, we're going to go start a company. And she said, <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, I won. Six weeks later, Calla was formed. <laughs> <laughs> the next baby, so, Cala Health. Exactly. That's her third <laughs> exactly. baby. And so we got things rolling. And I mean, in those early days, I was on the board of the company. I wasn't day in, day out involved, but we did a couple of really smart things. We opened up a clinic. As you know, it, to do clinical studies, you have to have what's called IRB or Institu Institutional Review Board Approval. We do have that covering our, our clinic on site. So we got to bring in patients and users very, very early in our journey to, to do really understand how the patient would sense this wearable electricity, right? We started down the path of doing many clinical studies. We're a de novo from the, from the FDA, which means there's no predicate for our technology, but we are not significant risk. We're a class two device. And we made the decision that we could either go commercial with that technology or uh, we wanted to actually improve our patient friendliness of our electrode material. So we did some more work on specialized materials. And then we put it all together into a huge clinical study. We actually have run the largest clinical study ever done in the ET patient population or essential tremor patient population. Wow. And uh, on the heels of that, we said we were, we were to start our commercialization activities. And so in mid-19, the board, me included, we're talking to a number of uh, individuals to come in and, and step in as a commercial leader, as a CEO. I raised my hand and said, why don't you give me a shot at it? And because there was no roadmap on how to build a wearable neuromodulation therapy business, uh, the board <laughs> said, give it a shot. And so they gave it to me. <laughs> Amazing. So I stepped in as a CEO in August of 2019. We shipped our first boxes the second week of September. So it was very quick from when I wow. came into the company to shipping. I know, crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. So John, you you alluded to something about you know patient accessing this technology. And so we have worked very hard and taken that very seriously. We're in the sort of middle of that journey, I would say. Uh, we do have unique coding from Medicare, uh, which is a very nice position to have. We're still working on our pricing, but in the meantime, we are able to submit commercial claims on behalf of our patients. Affordability and access are super important to me. The scientific and clinical side is well is well taken care of with Kate's leadership. And so I focused a little bit more on the commercial side. Okay, so I got it. Kate, the elephant in the room here, you just had your second kid. <laughs> you know, you've got Renee coming at you, which I know. I, I mean, Renee's a force of nature with a lovely smile. That force is, but she is a force. So what was going on in your head when you're trying to make this decision? You have this amazing opportunity, but you just had kid number two. You know, <laughs> how, how, how did you experience all of that? First of all, Renee is incredibly compelling yeah. uh, and very, very convincing. <laughs> Little did she know that, you know, she was laying that groundwork that a few years down the 
the road, you know, we'd get to uh, be on this journey uh, t together with, with Renee in the CEO role that I am so uh, thankful for. It's just wonderful working together. We have been so lucky to have incredibly strong investors and support throughout this journey. And that was one of the real pieces when I kind of stepped back and said, what is the right way to do this kind of innovation work? So one of the things we've done fairly uniquely is build this as a venture-backed startup. However, with largely uh, strategic investors, Renee mentioned the DeNovo pathway in a new product category with a new business model uh, sitting behind it, it's just bringing incredible people around the table. So at the end of the day, you know, it's the people that made that happen and made that decision ultimately easy. Renee, I'm curious about the name Calatrio. Where did it come from? Is it because there's three parts to it or it just sounds great? Why Calatrio? The, the name really references, this is sort of our third generation technology, and therefore it became the Calatrio. But uniquely, it does have three pieces to it. It also has three electrodes. So it has the stimulator, the band, and the base station. We haven't talked about the base station. The base station is actually a beautiful solution for patients with hand tremors. It has a self-centering capability, it has a magnet that when the patient can just sort of drops their simulator into the, the, the well, it self-centers, immediately begins to recharge the device. And uh, it also is how we do today, we upload all of the data from the device. So how does an essential tremor patient go about getting the Calatrio? So uh, there's two primary ways a patient can receive a prescription. First is through their doctor. Perhaps they've already failed uh, some of the first-line drugs. They don't want to make the decision towards surgery. And so we offer an ability to try our technology. And so the physician would write a prescription, which would include right or left-handed, and then small, medium, large bands. The other way a patient can get a prescription is by coming to our website, which is just calatrio.com, and they can download a doctor right. discussion guide. And that is a tool. It's three pages long. It's fairly simple. It's a page on the Calatrio, an essential tremor, a page on how to talk to your doctor about your condition and whether the solution is right for you. And then the third page is a prescription form. So uniquely, we actually have a much broader set of physicians who have actually written prescriptions than just neurologists or movement disorder specialists because it's where the patients feel comfortable going and talking about their condition. Typically, cycle time from a prescription coming in, we make a very concerted effort to contact that patient within the first 24 hours. They often have to talk to their loved ones because it is an expensive purchase if they don't have insurance, or we have to then check and verify their insurance eligibility. Typically, two weeks later, they get shipped a device and they unbox it like a consumer electronic. Like you guys with your microphones, like when we sent you your microphones and you guys had to unbox your microphones. <laughs> Trying to put it together. I promise you, ours is much simpler than your microphones. But it's like getting a, an Apple Watch, right? Or, or a, a new iPhone, right? You unbox it and it's fairly simple. You put the pieces together. And then, as I mentioned, when the patient first starts the their usage, they assign that tremor task, which is a, a postural hold where the, the hold is only 20 seconds long. But that's the time where we're personalizing our waveform to match the needs of that patient. So that's that's that setup time yeah. and then they're ready to go. And then let's talk about how the information that's collected from the device, does their doctor get that information or can they send that, share the data with their doctor? Four months ago, we launched our patient portal and now we're able to, to show back out to the patients how they're doing with their technology. So those postural holds are done every seventh session or so. And we, we measure the tremor uh, before and after the, those sessions. We also ask the patient to rate their tremor. So thumbs up, neutral, thumbs down. We obviously yeah. stole from a local Silicon Valley company about that. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Huh. I don't know. A big one. And uh, we now are able to package all of that data and share it with the patients. They do have the ability to download it and put it into a PDF to take it into their physicians. That's great. We, in the future, intend to actually create a healthcare professional access point. And so how many patients are using this? Uh, today, uh, we've been ramping pretty dramatically. So I'm going to get my numbers wrong, but it's probably somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 right. patients today. And well, obviously, we expect you know larger volume growth in the future. Yeah. Renee, this is, this is really good stuff. And when I think about our patients... They want to know what their engagement is and really what it ends up costing them. You know, is it a one-time fee that impacts them? And is it a subscription model for all that back-end support? 
Yeah, that's a great question, John. Um, so when the patients uh, are approached, uh, once the prescription is received by Cala directly from the physician, uh, we will reach out to them. And if they have insurance, today it's only commercial insurance that we can take at this time, we do an immediate benefit verification check. And if they are able to, to have the insurance cover for it or pay for it, uh, we go ahead and apply that and ship that out. Typically, in those situations, the copay is something on the order of $150 to $200. So fairly reasonable for the patients themselves. Also to note is that our band is replenished every 90 days. Uh, the electrodes start to uh, show some impedance. And so to ensure a very precise and safe delivery of electricity, we ship out a new band at every three months and then charge their insurance as well for that. So this is really incredible to me. And as we've been talking, I'm staring at my wrist and thinking, if I have to choose between brain surgery or a drug with potential side effects, I'm going for the wearable every time. But, you know, I'm wondering... When was that moment that you realized that this could be a viable solution? I love the question. And let me let me pull it back to a paintbrush, which is uh, when surgeons are operating, implanting the deep brain stimulator, uh -huh. one of the ways that they actually find the correct location in the brain, as, as Renee mentioned, it's called the VIM, the ventral intermediate nucleus, is where the stimulator is implanted to treat essential tremor. And one of the ways that you actually find that location is taking what is basically a paintbrush and sweeping the paintbrush over the hand. Oh. And the reason is because the sensation from the hand is carried on these same nerves to that location in the brain. Wow. And so it was really when I was watching that procedure, having seen this practice many times, that I started thinking... You know, if you can actually use the sensation from the hand in order to find this location in the brain, this is really great proof that these are very well connected. And then I think it was really just taking that observation and turning it on its head to say, can we use this therapeutically? And it was when talking with functional neurosurgeons who do those procedures and saying, you know, what do you think of the idea of actually stimulating these nerves at the wrist, even stimulating them non-invasively without an implant? And when I sort of started hearing the reaction of, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Wow. That's when, you know, we said, we're onto something special here and started doing the clinical and scientific studies to optimize that therapy to figure out how to calibrate it per patient and then to move that forward as a therapeutic product. In New England, you would say, Kate is uh, super smart. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, John, that's what I said when I met her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that kind of gave me chills, I have to say, to like have that moment where you're like, wait a second. And then it turns into your life's work, right? Yeah. Like, how incredible is that? Help us understand what patients are telling you about their experiences with the device. When, when we think about kind of those moments that give you give you chills, you know, when when you even when you walk in now to the front of Cala, one of the things we've sort of started hanging on the wall even is the amazing gifts we re receive from patients, which are just de demonstrations of what they're able to do that mm -hmm. they weren't able to do before this therapy existed. So for example, you know, right in the main hallway, there's an amazing painting that one of the patients did, which is a painting of, you know, a person overlooking the Grand Canyon. And it has just the most incredible detail in the tree and the person, you know, sitting out looking over this. And this is a, a painting that, you know, was made possible because of the therapy. This gentleman was not able to paint, you know, and had given it up uh, until coming back to that. Even a mild improvement in a patient's tremor, if it restores their ability to do what they care about, yeah. they're thrilled. They're very, very satisfied. And so a couple of things we've learned is that, you know, frequent usage or infrequent usage does not equate to a satisfied patient. Some of our most satisfied patients are the ones that use it maybe once or twice a week on the days that they want to do what they want to do. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think a great example of that, you know, I remember hearing sort of from one gentleman who, you know, said, I'm, I'm a courtroom lawyer. And, you know, you brought up the question of caffeine. He says, when I'm stressed mm -hmm. and I'm caffeinated and I'm presenting in front of a jury, if my hands are shaking, you know, the jury won't believe me. It's whether I win the case. So he's a great example of he was an infrequent user. So we reached out to him and realized he's incredibly satisfied because the therapy is giving him hand control sort of at that key moment. Yeah. So I think that's been one of the real challenges and why we've sort of pursued such, I would say, patient-centered innovation. Renee, Renee mentioned the clinic co-located at the study. And that's really because we realized we had to have physicians, nurses, patients. We need to have everyone 
working alongside us in developing these technologies so that we can understand the different experiences of different patients' needs of why, you know, you, you can't put a micro USB or a firewire charger into a device when your hands are shaking. Everything from the mechanical design of the system to sort of the, the way that patients access this to accommodate the fact that patients' expectations are much more of consumer electronics, you know, an Apple Watch-like box that comes to your doorstep. Well, a physician, neurologist's largely are scripting drugs. And so this has really required just spending time with each of the people, sort of who this touches and understanding what their unique needs are and then designing the solution that takes this scientific insight and translates into something that works from each of those lenses. So we haven't asked like a really important question. What does it feel like when you're getting therapy? Patients do feel sort of some amount uh, of paresthesia or, or a tingling. You know, this is designed so that people can use this while going about their daily lives. Patients cannot, for example, uh, shower or wet the device uh, while uh, using stimulation. Um, but patients are using this uh, th- throughout their day. So I'd say it's comfortable enough that they're going about their daily lives uh, while using therapy as needed. Um, I can imagine pe- someone going, I'm sorry, I can't do the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> if my teenagers could do that, they would. Yeah, <laughs> Renee, I got to help me to explain to our, our listeners here, you know, where can you get this product? Where will you ship it if you get a script? We have the ability to ship in almost every state in the country. There are a couple states in particular where you need to have a physical presence, meaning a brick and mortar office, to be able to ship into that state. So as of today, there are three states that we cannot ship to because they require this brick and mortar presence. Go ahead and out them, out them. Who are they? (laughs) Uh, Montana, North Dakota, and Tennessee. We are looking at solutions to, uh, as we expand, to access those states. I was just going to say, imagine with the clinic that you must be getting so much information. And I'm wondering what that means for your future. Like, what are you discovering? What are you creating? What other new products are you thinking about? Yeah. So just a comment on our clinic. So the clinic is a clinical site for a clinical trial. Uh, So we're not actually seeing patients or customers today in our clinic. I hope that 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 clarifies. But it is unique to have that clinic as part of your offices, right? Oh, it's a huge advantage. I mean, we we have the ability to have direct user feedback, Mm -hmm. unfiltered, the good, the bad, the ugly, about everything we do. And we really value that. It brings sort of that user input to the very start of the design and innovation cycle. So we we had, you know, patients, physicians, nurses interacting with us before we had even built our first device. Wow. So every step along the way, it is informed then by feedback from people who will be the eventual users, as opposed to kind of doing design and innovation work in a silo and then kind of throwing it over the wall uh, and seeing how well it's received. And I think that these are just sort of some of the user-centered design practices we really need to sort of bring into uh, more traditional uh, medical device innovation. So, Renee, your website mentions Cala Health is developing new therapies in neurology, cardiology, and psychiatry. Can you give us a little peek at what you guys are cooking up there at Cala Health for the future? What's sort of the bigger vision here? Uh, the, the bigger vision really is to be the pioneer in this field of wearable neuromodulation or bioelectronic medicine. And we are starting in a market where these patients are so in need of a therapy. So we, we actually um, have been so fortunate to be in the essential tremor space with our patients and, and caring for them. Up next is uh, a, just a label expansion into the Parkinson's patient population who also struggle with uh, tremors, uh, tremors when they're trying to do their activities of daily sure. living. And so we uh, recently submitted data to the FDA and knocking on wood, I know I'm not supposed to knock out with this fancy microphone in front of me, <laughs> but we are expecting to be able to start um, serving those patients in 2023. We have an incredible team developing our, our solutions, and we just have so many patients we can get after. One of the things that has struck me um, the most, as, as we've heard, as I'm sitting here right now, I can't think about another device that empowers the patient to direct their own therapy. You know, effectively, they put it on when they need it. To be able to, to do that, I think, must be incredibly uh, empowering and 
you know, I've, t- I've talked to friends who, who have this condition and I can only imagine how empowering that ability is. I mean, I, I just really don't know of other um, examples in, in healthcare today where patients can have that control over that. So that's incredibly powerful to me. Yeah, it's, it's Sandy, we, um, we agree. <laughs> and, and, and Kate, Kate was humble about this. You know, not only do we have these beautiful pieces of artwork, but we actually have um, beautiful people on our end of the spectrum caring for our patients. And so yeah. half the time when I walk into our, our customer care room and we have people on the phone with patients, there are gifts Christmas card. They have a whole you know, board of Christmas cards these patients are sending them. This is a customer success rep at Cala. <laughs> yeah, but I because can't. I mean, when does that happen? That's amazing. <laughs> I'm not sending a lot of you know Christmas cards to you know the, the Dyson folks where I have my vacuum cleaner gets broken every other week, right? But that's how that's where we are in their lives. They've they've given us this amazing opportunity to be part of their daily care, and it's really meaningful to them. Yeah, that's really yeah. that's awesome. It's so important in the role that the patients, the practitioners, you know, we're all on this journey together to, you know, contribute on to sort of on the innovation and on the discovery, you know, and I am so thankful to all of those people who uh, welcomed me and have welcomed many sort of other innovators into do observation in those moments, because that's really how we discover, you know, what the real unmet needs are and, you know, how we can make the world a better place for those patients. Well, Kate and Renee, thank you both so much for joining us today for talking with us about the Cala Trio. And we just wish you continued success on this journey. Well, thank you too. Well, we're happy to get the word out for patients. Yeah, for sure. I'm very struck by the fact that the Cala Trio is a dramatically different and much less invasive option for people with essential tremors. Craig, as you were listening to what were you thinking about? Uh, I was thinking about Frankenstein, actually. Um, <laughs> at that moment, actually, at the uh, same time. Frankenstein was uh, published in uh, about 1818. And if you think about it, that was all about electricity and the excitement over it, and the idea that electricity could bring the dead back to life. And that's silly now, but at the time, that was totally sensical. And it was a new technology and a new mystical power. And we could think about life as being electrical. And then that became a little too popular and a little too middle brow, and that got dropped. Uh, Kate had a wonderful line uh, today about thinking of the body as a bag full of chemicals. But that's a perfectly reasonable cut at looking at life, but that's just one system among many systems that are intertwined that make up the human body or any body's body. And it's great that we're taking something that, or she's taking something, I'm not doing a damn thing, <laughs> that she's taking something that got lost in the focus and bringing it back and saying, oh, look, I could do this really amazing thing. I can affect the brain without actually drilling inside it or giving you chemicals or making some uh, massive compromise of the patient's health, and yet still treat this very strange and very difficult to treat illness. Okay, I, I want to tag on to this uh, Frankenstein reference in a more legitimate way, because it turns out that the guy who started the company Medtronic which were the first manufacturers of cardiac pacemakers, you know, which basically zaps your heart to make it get back into a normal rhythm. The inspiration for working on that problem, which we take for granted today, was his watching the movie Frankenstein. So Frankenstein has had positive influences on our health. And you didn't know that before you listened to the show. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you think about healthcare really needing to be have things shook up, but these ladies went in and did the opposite. They just calmed things down. My dad's 95. He's got a little tremor. You know, watching him just eat or get dressed is um, is stressful, and he really doesn't like to do them in front of everyone. You think about those things, they just change your quality of life if you can go out and do these things. And like you said, they're simple. Yeah, I was hoping to hear some statistic of satisfaction, of usage. You know, how many people, what percentage of the users say this worked? I mean, that kind of number, I think, would be very reassuring to people with essential tremor listening to this who would want to know whether it's worth investigating. 
that's a great question, Craig. And I think we just promoted a more conversational attitude, which I hope the users enjoyed. But just going over and reading from the website, they've had over 60% of the patients improved at three months. And for devices, you know, when we see a signature greater than 50%, that's a strong signature. And uh, so they have that data available on the website from their clinical trials. But it's another good point that some people just want to know the tenor and some people want to know the number. So here we've provided them both. There's a lot of serendipity in here too. As Renee shared, you know, when she heard about the focus that Kate had when she first had the idea, when it was very raw, it clicked for Renee because she was on the board of this company, Neuropace, that was looking at treating epilepsy. It's very unusual that as, you know, wearing her investor hat at the time for a big, big company, that what Renee was doing is basically starting a new company. Big companies don't do that very often. And by the way, Renee was mentoring at the time, coming into the Stanford Biodesign program, teaching, mentoring, and which she's done, you know, for years. She sort of helped make that connection. And then, of course, worked her Renee magic to get this woman who just gave birth six weeks ago. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to start a company on this. <laughs> and all of those things came together. And, and there's, there's definitely some, some magic in what it took to, to get this. Yeah, I thought about that, too, because it probably really took somebody like Renee to support Kate in that moment, because on her own, she probably wouldn't have said, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I'm going to do right after I've had my baby. So that alignment, along with the incredible team that they've assembled, is pretty wonderful. So thanks to them, to Kate Rosenbluth and Renee Ryan for joining us today to talk about the Cala Trio. And as always, a special thanks to our Before We Die panel of experts, Sandra Miller, John McMahon, and Craig Allman. Don't forget to check out our mini episodes called Lab Before Slab, where Sandy, John, and Craig geek out about fascinating happenings in the med tech world. And just know that our hope is that some of this cutting edge technology that we talk about on the show, like the Calatrio, will be available to the patients who need it before we die. Thanks for listening. Before We Die is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producers are Joey Brenneman and Ariel Nachman. Before We Die is mixed by Kyle Moore. Our Before We Die panel of experts and creators of the show are Sandra Miller, John McMahon, and Craig Allman. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-283-4666. Share your healthcare stories with us and we might just play them on the air in a future episode. For more information, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com. <laughs>